Hello. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Oh, I'm living. What a great conversation with Trudy. <laughs> Truly a Trudy treat. That's Amen. That, you can't cut that out. No, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Trudy really was a treat to, and a delight to talk to. We were introduced to Trudy because a lovely member of our community sent us Trudy's book. Shout out to V. Yeah. What's up, V? Thank you so much for connecting us. And we had a lovely conversation with Trudy on this episode. I remember following Trudy around the time the pandemic started. Mm. And it's been so cool to see her evolution, to see her book come out. And also she's been like pretty even keeled the whole time. Like her message has been true and clear and yeah, exactly consistent. And I love that. Uh, obviously the work that she does with DE and I work, but Mm -hmm. that she's focusing a lot on like actually helping coaches become (laughs) better, well-rounded, more supportive, more healing, more accessible in the work that they do. And I think we need more of that. Like that's, I, I stand that. Yeah. Especially there's been a lot of talk about the value of different coaches in different industries. And I think sometimes you get into little algorithms of people just bashing and dishing on coaches and criticism is good. It's great to think critically about how it could be better, but we talk in this episode exactly about that and Trudy's take on it. And I thought she had a really great, insightful response about checking in with yourself if you've had a not great experience with a coach and asking whether you asked for your needs to be met. And if you are asking yourself the right questions and she just has so many nuanced, helpful takes like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coaching, like navigating the coaching industry, either as a coach or as a client is really, I, I think it's very tricky. There's just so mm-hmm. much out there and mm-hmm. so much stuff, you know, not just self-worth stuff and personal development work, but also like work around money. Whether you're hiring a coach and you have um, a specific mindset around money that may or may not be useful to you, or you are a coach and you're trying to have a successful business, but you also want to be inclusive and accessible and, you know, make sure that you're not just like in it for for the capitalism. That can be a, a tough road to navigate. And I think there are a lot of high profile coaches who give a lot of other coaches a bad name, <laughs> like who are just seem money hungry, you know? And to that point about capitalism, she also has a nuanced take on our relationship to it, how she views working in capitalism. And it was kind of refreshing also to hear. I agree. I found that very refreshing because we talk a lot about, you know, divesting from capitalism over here and being truly capitalism critical. And I think that Trudy like really represents that. Even though she was like, no, I don't. But I did. Actually, she didn't say she doesn't. <laughs> She's, she didn't say she she wasn't capitalism critical. She just said... I think capitalism is, well, you yeah. guys will hear it. You're yes. going to hear it in the episode. We're, we're going to leave you with that cliffhanger. <laughs> we're going to leave you with that. And we talk about it more, but Trudy has a really awesome coaching workshop coming up that we're excited to check out. And she talks about it more in the episode. And speaking of coming up, <laughs> Good segue. we have a workshop, <laughs> a really amazing class coming up, another edition of Notion for Magical Patties. Oh, patties. Notion for Magical Patties. (laughs) (laughs) What up, Patty moves only. Uh, Yes, Notion for Magical Patties, digital altars, and social media systems is happening this weekend, November 5th and November 6th. It is a binge mode version of the class. It is the last time I'm going to be teaching before I go on parental leave. Don't want to miss that. Extra juicy, (laughs) extra flowy, extra glowy. Extremely fertile. (laughs) Yes. Truly, though, <laughs> you're, you know, this, this little baby's pretty psychic. So, I mean, I can't I can't guarantee that insane intuitive hits are going to be dropped, but I can't say that they're not not going to be. I mean, you've said it. And so they say that your intuition is heightened when you're pregnant. So I think this is going to be a special, special class. It's true. Digital Alters is um, one of our most loved classes. I would say System Spells and Digital Alters are the two that people are the most obsessed with. System Spells is coming up in December. If you want to get on the wait list, we'll put the wait list below so you can sign up for that. But in Digital Alters, we talk about how to navigate social media using magic and spell work and your intuition and also 
make really fucking good content and create that using Notion and systems to make your content creation process a lot smoother, a lot more fun, um, a lot more inspired. And really like, so you can have a good time because that's what it's all about. Come have fun with us on the internet. (laughs) I promise there will be memes. Yeah, there will be (laughs) lots of memes. There will be lots of other cool baddies hanging out because that's what you want on the internet. You want to meet some cool people so that you can feel comfortable having fun doing your own thing. And they're out there. And a lot of them, honestly, are in this community. There's always (laughs) such cool people. Not to be like too, you know... (laughs) Tooting our own horn. But it's true. We are lucky enough to be in community with some extremely fucking cool people on the internet. So if you want to join class, that we'll put the link in the notes below. And we'd love to have you classes from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Saturday, November 5th, and then 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Sunday, November 6th. And there are replays available if you can't join us. So uh, I'd love to see you before I go pop this baby out of my hoo-ha. Well, we'll see you there. It's going to be 88 degrees today in LA. <laughs> what the fresh hell is this? It's yeah. October 20th. <laughs> yeah, it's cold here. What? How, what's the temperature usually over the, this, this time of year? I mean, with global warming, it's really been all over the place. But yeah, right. <laughs> Well, it's 54 here right now. So. Okay. Yeah, everyone on the East Coast is like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in LA in December. I can't wait. Yeah, what are you coming That's for? Cold. I have a TED Talk. TEDx talk. Yeah. Cool. Which TEDx is it? So Delthorn, TEDx, TEDx Women Delthorn. Cool. Um, They had their first one last year and it was like really great. Like they got a really great turnout. So I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to coming. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Have you done a TEDx talk before? You know, what's funny is that I had one scheduled for mid 2020 and never happened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, like life took a different path. It's not my first booked one, but it's, it will be my first one. Hey, that's, that's twice really the charm. Exciting. Yeah. Do you do they give you like a a format to like study and follow, or do you just kind of have to like free ball it? No, the people who organize it like they offer you like in order to get a license to do it, you have to be able to provide the speakers like some kind of support around the structure because it's Ted is very like particular about like you know, what people can talk about and the length of time. And Mm -hmm. so we have like 10 minutes. Um, The theme is collective liberation. Um, And I'll be meeting with, you know, some of the folks to go over my talk actually next week. So that's incredible. Yeah, that's really cool. Is that kind of the pathway that you walk down now that you have a book? Because I know it's it's like kind of, um, I don't know, like a launching pad um, or a series of events, domino effect where you get a book published and you're an expert in this area and then you start going on speaking tours and you can like have a pretty lucrative career doing that. I think there's a misconception that that's like what is makes it lucrative. Like like just that (laughs) selling books alone and speaking, it's actually very few number of people who could like make their living doing that. But what many folks are able to kind of figure out is how to like write a book, speak, and then have that kind of be like an introduction into like, a, you know, into your world. And then it's like, here are the ways that like, we can help you and sell things to you. And then that, you know, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of how it happens. I would love to just write and speak, but really maybe one day. So yeah. was writing a book like your your dream, like something that you'd always wanted to do, or did it kind of just no, that? no? The speaking, I've been I've been training and speaking for a very long time. Yeah, but I actually wasn't really interested in writing. It literally had to fall on my lap. Like it, <laughs> it was like, will you please write a book? Wow. Here, and, here is an agent. So like someone was like, here here's is an, some money. Like it really, please it write really the book. Was like, yeah, <laughs> I was really lucky that, you know, I knew people who were in that world. One of my clients was a publishing house. And so I was able to like, kind of get into that world. So yeah, so it wasn't like top of the list, but I do. And I've always enjoyed writing. I did a lot of academic writing in school. So it was an easy, it was easy jump, but yeah, it had to be kind (laughs) of given to me. (laughs) I find that so refreshing because I think people, 
imagine that like writing a book will be this like gigantic thing that changes their lives and they'll get this, you know, six or seven figure book deal Mm -hmm. and then they'll sell millions of books. And it's so rarely that, you know, like it's so rarely that's like the 0.1% of people that that happens to. And it seems like the the best part of writing the book is just actually metabolizing your ideas into one spot. Yeah. And working through it yourself, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, the, the days of six figure book deals are like, they're far and few between, you know, and like, you know, the thing is, is that a six figure book deal, like people need to be clear. It's an advance, right? So (laughs) you have to like, I mean, you know, most of them are non recoupable. So, but, but it also means that like, if you don't sell more than that, you're never going to get a royalty check, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so the higher your advances, like the longer it takes for you to actually see any, you know, like residual income happening. Um, and if you don't sell, if you get a six figure book deal and that company doesn't make their money back, you ain't right in a second book. Okay. Like you're not, yeah. you know, like <laughs> there's no part two. <laughs> yeah. Done. So, you know, it's um, I know it it seems really flashy like the idea I got a six-figure book deal right but there's like that there's a lot of pressure yeah on on that yeah right so you know you have to have to think about all those things I have a friend who is going through pre-sale for a book on sex therapy and she was she was saying the pre-sale numbers are doing so well and I'm so surprised at how small they are (laughs) she's like I was told by our publisher that they're doing amazing and it's kind of sad to see where books are at if these numbers are great (laughs) yeah really yeah yeah Yeah. the good thing about the book that books though is that like unlike other mediums that are released in similar ways like movies or music Mm -hmm. is that they have a longer life cycle for success right so like a movie or an album you know when we used to go to the mall and buy a (laughs) cd (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um it was like that first week of sales, mm-hmm. you know, first weekend of sales are like big indicators of what's to come. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case with books. Like books, I think it was someone was telling me that um, that book, um, Jen Sincero, the mm-hmm. You Are a Badass series, that that book didn't actually hit the bestseller list till 18 months after it was published. So it took a lot. So, and there's, and that's the case with a lot of, a lot of books. Like they just, they're kind of hanging around and, you know, and then either there'll, there'll be a surge of publicity or something or something else will happen that will point people in the direction of this book that's been sitting there with all the answers for, you know, like, so Yeah. yeah, books have a life of their own. The cultural zeitgeist takes a shift. Yeah, exactly. And brings it back. In the same way that you kind of found yourself in book writing, how how did you come to coaching? Because I feel like you have a different perspective um, that I personally really resonate with. And we've been kind of circling this conversation about coaching for a while, about the state of coaching and business coaching especially. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many things to say. Yeah. So that's a two-part question maybe. Yeah. Yeah, So I've always been a coach. It's funny because I've there, I actually have a picture. I'm going to post it to Instagram. Actually, there's a, a picture of me when I was nine years old in our like local newspaper, where the <laughs> caption literally says "Trudy LeBron coaching," and then it says like the our, the other person's name, like the small kid, like who I was like whispering <laughs> into his ear, like before a, a foot race or something. And it was like at camp, like, and I'm like <laughs> telling the kid like what to do. Right? It's so it's like been my nature to be like the advisor and like the go-to person. And I don't know, are y'all into human design? I was going to ask, are oh, you a projector? Are we? I am a projector. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like always, yes. So I've always, so even though like I didn't know about that, right. Uh-huh. I, it has been a way, a way of being for me for a long time. My father likes to tell this story. Like to, will tell people that um, when he brought me over to kids, like, or when he brought me places, Um, and there would be kids like, I didn't like, I didn't play with the other kids. I kind of managed how they played. Like I would kind (laughs) of come in and change like the rules and be like, here's how we can do this better. And I would just kind of like organize other children's like 
play behavior. So it's very natural <laughs> to me. You're like, these teams aren't fair. Here's yeah. what <laughs> we need for equal competition. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So as I got older, um, I found myself, you know, gravitating towards uh, careers that worked with the kinds of kids that were like me, like kids who were marginalized in different ways, you know, grew up in inner city schools. So I did a lot of working in um, after school programs and camps and then in schools and nonprofit organizations. And my role was to be a coach, right? And like the job titles were different things like program director or case manager or graduation specialist. But essentially, like the jobs were always about supporting people to grow and like take control of their life and make decisions that were in their best interest and build resiliency. Um, And as my career was unfolding, you know, I got, uh, I decided to go to grad school. I got a master's in psychology and then I did a PhD in social psychology and really geared my course of study to, to be in, in my research to really start to understand what were the differences between you know, people who were able to transform their lives and, and people who were not, um, you know, really starting to understand what are the levers that we can pull in either a relationship between like a teacher and a student or a social worker and client or structural things like policies that we can create in a school or a system that can be developed in a community to help people get access to, you know, the things that they need. So I really just kind of gravitated towards the the research and like the practical application of of the science. And so that's how I got into coaching. And eventually, like I did a coach certification, even though I had been doing all the skills, you know, anyway, I, I wanted to kind of understand what that process looked like. So I got certified as a coach. And ever since, I, I mean, I've been training people in these kinds of professions, including at the college level for, uh, a very long time since at least I I started being compensated as like a trainer and consultant in 2008. Wow. So yeah. So that's a minute. That's, that's a lot longer than 2020. That's for sure. Longer than the (laughs) internet, longer or longer than Instagram has been around. (laughs) Yeah. When you went through coaching certification, were you like, I already know all this stuff. Like this is, this is remedial or was there something that was because you had a PhD at that point like <laughs> so I didn't have the PhD at that point I was like in my PhD program actually the person who ran the coaching school was a, a colleague who was in the same yeah. PhD program oh, that I was cool. in and she was like hey you should really come and do this program I think it would help you like you know in in your work and help and and also help me her you know her kind of promote her the the school the certification and kind of like you know think of some alternative ways to implement the practice Mm -hmm. so it was a a win-win and and so the the science of it I had I understood inherently it was nothing new but it was an a really beneficial opportunity to have such a tight container to practice. And this is a lot of the, what I do now with, with folks. Um, because let's, let's think if you play a sport, let's say take basketball, right? If, if you play or any sport, when you practice, you repeat a skill over and over and over so that it becomes muscle memory. And then you have your teacher, your advisor, like critique the skill and the implementation of the skill and help you think through when you might use that skill versus another skill or how to differentiate those skills. Right. And coaches don't naturally have those containers to like practice skills and implementation. And so when I went through coach certification, that's what I was able to get. Like, you know, that kind of like real specific Um, opportunity to say like, what's the difference between asking that question this way or that way? Like what, Mm. and and what's a little bit of like the purpose behind why we might go in one direction or another. And that kind of nuance for me was huge, especially as I continued to develop my, um, you know, kind of go through my PhD program and incorporate more, more study and practice around diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism. And then what I wanted to do, what, and which is what we ultimately ended up doing, is creating a coaching institute 
that provided that kind of container for training and practice, but infused cultural responsive practice and equity um, and diversity and kind of think through what are even broader, what are business applications for coaching? What are community-wide applications for coaching? Like, how can we use this really as a tool, you know, to create change? Mm-hmm. Did you feel at the time or did that certification set you up to know how to run your business as a coach? No. And that's a that's a big part of like my conversation online that has mm-hmm. been like happening a lot, right? That there is a big difference between a coaching business and a coaching practice mm-hmm. and the skills that you need to be a successful business person Mm -hmm. um, are different than the skills that you use to be an excellent coach, right? And they are different and they use them different. And so no, that program didn't, but I had years of nonprofit leadership experience. And then as a consultant, I went through like a business incubator program, like a local business incubator, not an online training program. Um, But which was really interesting because I got a chance to learn about business alongside people who were building like, who were like engineers and building like, you know, different kinds of fuel sources and all, you know, like, and another company that was like a designer, you know, (laughs) designers and like cosmetology, like it was so, and that, let me tell you, that was extremely beneficial Mm -hmm. because there, there really is a beauty and of not just a beauty, but a, There's something that happens when you have diversity of like all kinds, not just racial diversity, right? Mm -hmm. But like when you have racial diversity and educational diversity and industry diversity, and you find ways to connect people to learn together, like Mm -hmm. you see things that you won't see and you learn things that you won't learn if you're just sitting in a whole, in a room with a whole bunch of people who are trying to do pretty much the same thing that you're trying to do, you know? So that was having like, learning experiences that were non, I mean, non-traditional, like not just like what we typically see again around like the pop culture online coaching world. Right. That was really transformative. It -hmm. sounds like boots on the ground and to your point, diversity in so many ways, but especially diversity of thought. And we can get so caught up in our little echo chambers online or in person of just a lack of that. Right. Like this is how my industry does it. This is the way that we do it. They're the most correct way. And then as soon as you step out of that, you're like, wow, there's so many ways to solve these problems so much more creatively. And I think especially for those of us who maybe feel like rebels in the industry that we're in that want to disrupt the Mm -hmm. industry that we're in because we're like, this is actually a little fucked up. (laughs) Like I kind of don't like a lot of this stuff when you, when you can kind of, um, I don't know, not Trojan horse your way into different industries, but just like try on their lens or their perspective, all of a sudden, like new solutions explode out of your brain. It's so cool. Yeah. And I'm constantly putting myself in that place. I see myself as a kind of translator in some kind of ways, right? So I'll intentionally put myself in learning spaces that are not typical of someone who has like a similar similar kind of career or online profile as I do so that I can kind of you know learn what the conversations are in other industries for tomorrow for example I have a I'm going to a conference that Yale is hosting um it's a like pretty nerdy psychology conference like psycho where people are going to be presenting like academic papers and things like that. But there's just like one piece of this conversation that I really want to hear because I think it has implications for, you know, how we might teach something or, or, you know, just, so I kind of see my role as that, like to, to go learn the big ideas and then kind of see how we can apply them, you know, into practice, like in that kind Mm -hmm. of boots on the ground way, like what does, what does the science mean when I'm sitting in front of a client, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. not always clear when you just like read an academic paper. But I happened to go to a graduate school that really prioritized the scholar practitioner model of education. So not just being like a scholar and doing research, but Mm -hmm. at every stage thinking about how does this apply? Like, what are the implications of this in practice? Um, so that's a lot of what I do now and, and what I hope to be able to continue to do more of over the next couple of years. 
Sounds like you're really good at extracting frameworks and then being able to apply them sort of like across to to sort of any any problem, which I think is yeah. one of the, the best things about having those in your back pocket. And I imagine totally. that's a lot of what coaching is too, right? It's like, okay, here's this framework. Like, does it work for us in this problem? Let's apply it to this problem and see what answer we end up getting. It might not be the answer, but it, it will be maybe a different answer than we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more tools as coaches, the more approaches to coaching and frameworks and tools that you feel comfortable using, the more you're, a- the better you are able to like apply or match a client dilemma, right? It's something that a client kind of presents with to the appropriate ap- coaching approach or tool, right? Because not every tool fits every problem. But if you're only trained in like one or two things, there's this tendency to make every problem fit into that tool. And some people think that that's a fine way to go about, you know, running their business. And I think that when you're a new coach, like brand new to coaching and you're just kind of practicing with one thing, I get I get that. But what I have seen happen, and maybe I don't know if this is part of the some of the conversations that you've been having, but what I see happen a lot of is that people become coaches, they feel really inspired to become a coach, they feel this really deep calling, they get trained, or maybe they have skills already similar to how I had like consulting skills, and they start working with clients. And then you figure out you have to like, run a business. Like you have to, you have to, in order to do this as your job, you have to run a business. And so people enroll in some business programs or masterminds. And then it's a a lip, there's this danger of this hamster wheel of constantly feeling like, Oh, in order to continue, I need to continue to grow. I need more business training, more business training, more business training. And that will help you grow your business and get in front of more people. But if your skills aren't growing proportionally, what you have is now you're you're talking to more people, but you haven't developed your skills to be able to serve more different types of problems and more diversity of people. Again, not just racial diversity, right? All kinds of diversity. Mm-hmm. And, and you end up with a lot of people who present as coaches, but they're more sales and marketers than they are coaches. Like from a skill perspective and time perspective, right? That they are investing more time in their professional development in the business side than on the coaching side. And I know I get why people might choose that or might need to choose that, but you know, there's a danger there. That's why we get a lot of coaching communities that start to feel like gaslighty or cliche, you know, like using a lot of the cliche kind of coaching frameworks and questions. Yeah. A little, yeah. Like, you know, you start to get a little bit of that because people, you know, like the skills aren't developing in a way that is proportionate to their business growth. Mm -hmm. We're taking a quick pause to talk about Open, one of our sponsors. Open is a mindfulness app built to transform your life. And boy, oh boy, can I just say, Open has made the last eight months of my life a lot easier (laughs) because I've been pregnant and uh, definitely not going to yoga class, definitely not going to Pilates, definitely not going to any meditation classes just because I've been really sick for most of my pregnancy and then very swollen. Shrek feet, SpongeBob feet. It's just not a cute look. And being able to exercise from home at my own pace and my own timing on the open app has been a godsend. And when I don't want to exercise, when I'm having a spiral panic attack about the fact that I'm bringing a human onto this planet in 2020, I can just turn on a meditation and bring myself back to center. It is chef's kiss amazing. I use open to fall asleep. I use open to do many breathwork sessions. And I also love their Pilates. They have the best music curation. They have really amazing guides. We can't say enough positive things about them. And you get to try them free for 30 days, which is an amazing deal because it's such a premium subscription and it's just a beautiful experience through and through. So we will link your 30 days free in the show notes, or you can use code holisticism at open.com backslash holisticism. So don't miss out. Honestly, it couldn't hurt you to try even just one little meditation session. It's about to be a little crazy time of year. You might benefit when you're (laughs) like, I'm sick of my family. 
Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one month of open alone is less than the cost of a yoga class, a Pilates class, or a meditation class. So it's definitely worth it. Or even like two matches. (laughs) (laughs) If you go to a coffee shop, they're like $8.50 now. (laughs) Yeah, you can either get a a matcha with CBD oil in it once, or you you can open every single day. Of the Every day. Honestly, go sign up with open.com backslash holisticism. One of the things circling around this conversation that I hear a lot is I hired this business coach and it just, I was really disappointed. Yeah. For, you know, fill in the blank reason, but it feels like a lot of people are looking for something that they're not getting. And I, what you're saying about connecting the dots of being a holistic coach in that there's that business side and the social practice too makes a lot of sense because ultimately what they're saying, what they're delivering in terms of a service is not fully integrated, connected, and holistic as an approach. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think I think part of that is happening because like business coaches, business coaching is delicate, right? Like I, I've had amazing business coaches, and I've had coaches that I have been less impressed with. But if I'm actually being honest with myself, in the spaces where I wasn't as impressed, like I probably could have asked a few more questions and made a different decision about whether that was like the right space for me or not. And so some of the things that I advise people to think about when they're thinking about business coaching is one, do you need to learn how to do something or like, do you need to invest that money in hiring someone to just do it for you? And I think that's a big thing. I think there's a lot of programs that make people think that the solution is just, oh, let me learn how to build this funnel. And then you get into the program and the coach is like, oh, you need to build a funnel, but I'm not going to teach you how to build the funnel. You need to like go hire someone else to build it for you. And so sometimes people get into business coaching programs and they find that not only do they have to now pay for the coaching, but they have to pay for other people to actually implement the strategies that the coach is advising. And so if you ask those questions, upfront, like you should, you know, you should be able to assess like, well, how much more is this coach's plan going to cost me? Right. Or am I going to commit to figuring out how to do all the things myself? And is that gonna, am I at a place in my business where that makes sense? When I started my company, um, the coaching company, I, I had been consulting, like I said, for years, but when I decided to transition and kind of really start to focus on having these kinds of conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism with coaches and in the personal business space, I, w- I like built the landing pages myself. Like I connected, I did all the integrations myself, but like, I also had the time to be able to do that because I had a partner who was super supportive and, you know, understood if I was going to be working late into the evenings and, you know, like do like all the things that we need to do as like a family. Cause we also have a bunch of kids and I, I was good at tech anyway. Like I was te- pretty tech mm-hmm. savvy. I have been studying through like online programs for years, very comfortable into like, you know, using online platforms and kind of making programs work and stuff like that. So, you know, but Sometimes you get to a point in your business where that's not like I could never do that now, right? I can't like, even though I do some stuff, like I can't run the whole company by myself. And Mm -hmm. so people need to be just honest with themselves about, you know, is this a program that is going to teach me how to do something or, you know, what am I actually expecting to come out of this? Right. Those are, those are the conversations that need to be had. And if you, you know, there, there are, business skills that entrepreneurs need to have, especially, especially if you're going to be a coach, like you do have to learn about content creation. You do have to learn how to be online and, you know, like build a personal brand and all that. But that's not the same as like, you know, that's not all it takes to run a business. So yeah, you got to ask, you got to ask a lot more questions. I think it's like coaching yourself in coaching and coaching the coach. (laughs) While you're yeah. engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And ask, yeah, just asking all those questions, like what kind of approach, what kind of coaching approach do you use? Are you going to, mm-hmm. is the primary strategy in this program 
for me to outsource all the work that needs to happen and that that's going to be another expense? Or is this program going to teach me like, is the, is the goal of this program to teach me to grow slowly and start to build and kind of like a one person or two person operation, like asking those questions and making sure that you pick the question or that you pick the pathway that's appropriate for, you know, your budget, your temperament, like, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, I think those are really important things. Yeah. I, I think a, a trap that people often fall into is they think that by throwing money at the problem, like, well, I'm investing in this and that mm-hmm. is the work. Just the investment right. is like the work towards whatever it is that I want to yeah. make happen. And they're yeah, not thinking really like thinking it out or being realistic about, well, what is it that I actually want? Like, yeah. what is my desired outcome truly? And what am I willing to right. do to get there? So much of, you know, the book that you, the, the last part of the book that you wrote is about money and mindset. And I, I feel I feel like there's like sometimes these two different sides of the coin where it's like, I can't spend any money. I have a lot of like money scarcity. Like it's scary for me to invest in myself or the opposite of like money instead of soul. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, in, I'm throwing the money at the problem instead of like throwing myself and being willing to do the work. And I'm curious how you kind of like navigate that as a coach too with your clients? I mean, I think nothing, nothing is the either or, right? Like Mm -hmm. we are with our clients, our core question that we come back to over and over and over is like, is it aligned, right? Is, is the choice, whatever you're looking at deciding or with of the choices, which choice is the most aligned with your values, Mm -hmm. you know, with the way that you want to work in your business, like the orientation you want to have to, to the business? Is it aligned with, is it aligned with your budget? Is it aligned? Just, just everything, right? Like the, my position is that if you make choices that are aligned with all of those kinds of things that I just mentioned, you can never make a bad choice. Mm-hmm. You know, like even if the outcome isn't what you intended, like if it was the choice that was aligned, right? It will be the right choice. No, it also it also makes it easy for you to like or easier to stand behind the decisions that you make, right? If someone doesn't like something you said, if you said it and it was aligned, that's what it is. You know, you said yeah. what you said. <laughs> so yeah. that's with our clients, it kind of always comes back to like, what's the bigger goal? Is it aligned? What's true? There's no like mindset hack. Right. <laughs> There's no like well, I think like the to get to that point, you really have to know yourself. You have to know what totally. your values are, what your baseline is. And a lot of people don't. <laughs> like a lot of people really don't. Yeah, they don't. I mean, in our program, everyone does because that's where we start. <laughs> like every single, you know, every single coach that we certify, people who come through our programs, people who work with us on more of the consulting side, people with bigger companies that we're writing, like, you know, designing equity strat- strategic plans for and things like that. The first conversation is always like, what are your values? What are your organizational values? What are your personal values? And like, I would have to say probably 95% of the time, even when people think they have them already, they find that they need to change them. Mm -hmm. Because often we build a set of like company values or brand values based on what we think we should say, or what we aspire to be, or, and that, no, like, what is it? You need to operate in like, what is And I do believe that, you know, in the whole like stretch into who you want to be, but your values shouldn't be, your values, your core values shouldn't be changing, you know, depending on like the size of the company that you're running. Like if your values are changing, then those are probably not your values. (laughs) You know, your, your values are pretty, you know, are pretty central and pretty unchanging for the most part. Um, And again, it's just about, having the values and then having like, well, what are you, what are we actually doing here? Are you trying to build a big company, a small company, a small, you know, just like a family owned company that just pays your bills and lets you build the savings? Like, what are you, what's the bigger impact you're trying to have? And when you have all those pieces in place, decisions get really, they just get so much easier to make Yeah, because you're making decisions that are in service to 
what you're trying to build and how you're trying to live. Yeah, we were just talking about this in the North Node, which is one of our, our our communities that values are like the baseline, right? And beliefs sit on top of our values and beliefs are like mutable. You know, we can change yeah. our minds still, right? Like they're, we should change our minds as we learn and grow. Um, but our root values, they don't really shift if they're truly our values. And I think that like, if for anyone who's scared of being rigid, which is definitely me, that like offers some freedom or like an exhale. It's like, okay, yeah, I yeah. can change my mind still, but my values uh, will be in integrity like throughout my yes. life. 100%. A lot of what you've shared about your coaching philosophy and framework kind of reminds me of design thinking as an approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that track in terms of how you approach a lot of your work, especially in bigger communities? Yeah, totally. That I was trained in ge- design thinking. We brought design thinking principles as facilitators into communities cool. to create. I used to create, I used to do three year like community, sc- school community equity and inclusion plans, right? That those mm-hmm. are just a complicated process wow. to like bring all these stakeholders together. Yeah, but it was a design mm-hmm. thinking philosophy that drove the strategies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one, 100%. And that's what I mean, like taking, taking science and, and theories and models from, you know, again, boots on the ground, not like the traditional online personal development space, mm-hmm. and bringing that good data, that good practice into like, how do we do this online? Like, how does it work? in small groups? How does it work one-to-one? Like how can that be leveraged as just one tool, not the only tool, but one tool that we have to, you know, help people build, build their companies, build their lives, build their communities. And I know you talk a lot about wealth generation as it relates to anti-racism and equity work. How, how do you think for somebody who's listening, who's maybe coming from an activist past or is, I identifies currently as an activist and maybe struggles with Mm -hmm. the idea of wealth creation and money as it relates to business and activism. Is there an approach within kind of that framework that you teach or? Yeah. Yeah. So our, our philosophy, our philosophy on money and wealth generation is a very pragmatic approach, right? The fact is, is that we live in a world that, and you know, in the U in the U.S. context, right, that we are operating in a system of capitalism, right, and that that alone triggers a lot of people because of all the problems with capitalism, and like every economic system in the world has problems with. Mm-hmm. Particularly when it comes to racial inequity, right? There, like no one's figured out how to get it right. So I'm not as willing as some people to just kind of throw capitalism in full out the window. The biggest problems with capitalism are about like wealth consolidation, right? It's like the hoarding of money by few companies and few, you know, individuals and families that's one of the biggest problems that we have, right? It's not actually like the small business that made $5 million last year and right. like had a huge profit. Like that's in the scope of things, that's like nothing, right? It's right. like just a drop right. in the bucket. Hoarding so, and like objectification of workers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which is how you, which is how you get to hoard, right? Because exactly. if you don't, if you're <laughs> yeah. not yep. hoard, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. but that doesn't have to be the case, right? We mm-hmm. have this wonderful example of, um, now it's, last name is going to escape me, but the CEO, the former CEO of Patagonia, right. Who recently put his company. Yvonne Schumard. Schumard. Yes. Thank you. Schumard. So he recently put his company in a trust. Mm -hmm. This is a for-profit company that he placed in a trust and the company will continue to run as a for-profit, which can only happen because of capitalism. Right. Um, And the profits from the company will go directly, will be kind of managed and will be given to a foundation and distributed to nonprofits that are working on climate change, right? That is, he he could have sold that company for billions of dollars, right? He's, that company could have went public years ago, Right. And, and continue to even make more money than it, you know, than it was. Right. And that's not what happened. He didn't sell it. He transferred it into a trust. 
more people can make that decisions. You don't need to be a billionaire of, um, you know, multinational outdoor company to make that choice. Right. So my position is that if more good people have more money, they will make good decisions with that money. Like we see that consistently. That's why there are so many um, initiatives around the world, particularly in developing countries that are all about like micro loans and Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship for women, because they know that when women are earning money, they make better decisions. They take care of their families. They take care of their communities. Like that dollar goes so much farther in those communities. So if we can have people who are those activists, those, you know, social impact minded people, um, who has ha- who have a whole lot of reasons to be distrusting of, you know, the traditional corporate structure and capitalism and all those things. But if we can get them making more money, you know, and and some of them running big companies that make millions of dollars, then that more that money is just far more likely to go back into the hands of the community, to to political candidates and campaigns that are going to make be able to make decisions, policy level decisions to about capitalism that might be able to change like our infrastructure. But I'm just so clear that the reason that we have what we have right now, this kind of oligarchical kind of like system yeah. where we where we're watching, you know, you turn on the news right now, we're in midterm elections. Voting rights is a big thing, even the question of our very democracy, right? Like it's because of who gets to sit in those chairs and the people who are in those chairs are funded by people with money. So for as much as we might want to divest from that system, I think it's too risky. And not effective. Not effective. Yeah, that's always, yeah. for me, that's what it always, everything boils down to. What's going to work? Mm-hmm. Right? I'm all about the big dream for like a completely different way of being. Yes, yes. And we need both. Yeah, I don't know that we get there without first, you know, like we can't make those changes until we get in the room and we can't get in the room unless we have the money to, you know, fund the efforts that will get us into the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and wealth amplifies what's already there, you know, right? like if exactly whatever you think wealth is, whether it's money or time or power, like it just amplifies what's already at the root of that person or organization. Exactly. To your point. Yeah, I know two people who work in finance who ascribe to being like extreme effective altruists Mm -hmm. and donate a ton of their paycheck, if not like 80% of the money they make to organizations that kind of fit the model of effective altruism. So often it's like still mosquito nets in in places where you can save the most lives for the amount of money that you're donating. And although that's not my preferred approach, but I think it's fascinating for people who are like, I'm not going to run a business. My background is in finance. So even if this industry is fraught and it's not perfect, I still have agency for how I'm going about contributing that money back into the world, even if, you know, I'm making a lot of it. Totally. And that's why we've really, like with my work, we've really broadened the scope of who we're talking to when we're talking about coaching and leadership, because we think that anyone who is in a position where they're impacting the growth and transformations of others are in coaches, right? They are, mm-hmm. they are coaches right. and they could use coaching skills to be more effective in their work. And so that means teachers, supervisors of any kind of team, team leaders, right? Like all kinds of people. And once people are like, you know, working with us, they're able to kind of see not only like do these co- are these coaching skills really effective, but the culture that we create to be able to see that like, oh, there's all these people who are making impact in all these different dynamic ways. And even though I'm not, you know, even though I don't run a business, here's where I do have agency. Here's where I do have an opportunity to impact. Here's where I can influence. Um, yeah, there's so much work to be done. And we need all of the help we can get, you know, like in in the world, like as many people as we can doing business differently or spending their money differently, spending their time differently. There needs to be a, a paradigm shift. 
And that's kind of what your program is about, right? The, the doors close next week. Yeah, yeah. So the art and science of coaching is happening. And it's I'm really excited about this. And last night I was having a real, I was like kind of in the zone last night. I had the music playing and the incense <laughs> going. And I was like, I need to add another workshop. So we're doing, um, originally it was four workshops or four professional development trainings. And now it's five. And the last one that we, that I just added um, is called bringing coaching into communities. And that's exactly like, yeah. we want to talk about like alternative applications of coaching. And so the whole idea is to train people in the skill, the, the art and the science of coaching, not the hype, not the online influencer, like, how do you be an excellent coach, you know, and, and kind of have an intentional practice. So we're teaching things like coaching psychology and facilitator training and creating safe containers for transformation. And now this new course. So yeah, um, it will be taught live. And so we have the doors open right now um, for folks who want to be able to kind of be with me live and hear the, you know, and participate and ask questions. Um, and then later on, it will be available as a digital course. Awesome. Cool. I want to take it. <laughs> I know. You should. Like, Come on. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm, it's going to be I'm amazing. Like four weeks away from giving birth. So <laughs> I'm going to be on maternity leave. And I'm like, oh, there's so many classes I can take. And I'm like, wait, I do need to keep a baby alive. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, it will all be available in a podcast format. So you could just as you're doing whatever. That. So yeah, it's okay. very accessible. Yes. You sold me. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Is it for people who don't have experience coaching like who if it's for both yeah yeah if people don't have experience coaching they're going to come and learn a whole bunch about coaching um most people have some experience coaching just yeah. in the relationships that you have in again in your community right like some people are natural leaders some people are that that Kin friend in the group where they're like always giving yeah you know like always giving mm -hmm. advice so they're going to learn a whole bunch. And for people who are already seasoned coaches, they're going to have an opportunity to take it even deeper and get into some of the nitty gritty science and um, applied practice. So I, I'm, I'm really excited that like we've been able to kind of fine tune how to differentiate our program so that it's meeting a lot of people like, you know, meeting the needs of a lot of people and kind of every time people go through, there's an opportunity to take it a little bit deeper, depending on what they're ready for. Incredible. And where can people find your book and you online? Is it Instagram? Yeah, Instagram is the best place to come and like learn more and stay connected and ask questions and send DMs and all that. I love talking to people in the DMs on Instagram for some reason. Um, it's my favorite place to hang out. And we make sure that all the information is there. So yeah, any if, if you're looking for book, website, other things, Instagram is really a great portal for all of it. Um, and if you're not on Instagram, you can just uh, go to my website. It's just my name, Trudy with an I, TrudyLebrun.com. Has a great ring to it too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Trudy. This was such a great conversation. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. The 12th House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.